I've got to tell you, I love the Warku family too. And Sega, I love serving with you. All right, all through this Advent season, as I've been thinking about what Advent actually means about this longing and anticipation, I have thought about uh, C.S. Lewis's words in, in uh, Mere Christianity. He starts it out by, by saying that the Christian believes creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A, a baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. Uh, a duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Now, this part especially. So if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy that longing, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. See, when I think about Advent, I think about longing. I know last week, uh, Pastor Jeff, in his really wonderful message, said that Advent is all about waiting, and that's true. I mean, but when you really think about it, those things we wait for with the greatest anticipation are those things that we long for the most. Isn't that right? Now, I'll tell you, all of us every day have countless things that we long for, some of them small, some of them great. I'll, I'll, I'll confess to you right now, I am longing for several things to happen, some of them big time. Uh, I live a long way away from my family. I am longing for my daughter and son-in-law and three grandchildren to come. I'm going to show you a picture of the three grandchildren just so you can see why I'd be longing so much. There you see little Riley and Noel and Brooks. I'm also longing for my son to come, Brandon and, and, and his wife, Kelsey, who grew up here in this church. I'm longing for really like a family member, our closest family friend, Jamie, uh, to come in from Princeton to be with us. We're going to be packing out the house, and uh, it's going to be, I'm longing for that, even as I preach to you, just to let you know. Uh, other things that I really long, I, I'm longing for this afternoon's concert. I don't want to just do an advertisement in the sermon, but last year's Christmas concert was just so beautiful. I mean, I hear Christmas music all the time, right? And yet there's something that when I come into my church family and our own church people use their gifts fully to the glory of the Lord, there's just something that just goes deep, deep into my heart. I hope you'll come and experience that as well. So I'm longing for that. But when I think about the longing of Advent, I'm really thinking about something so much deeper than just those those kinds of longings. I, I think there is a longing that is deep inside every human heart. And, and, the, and the big thing is that we long that all the wrongs in this imperfect world will be made right. Do you ever long for that? Sometimes it's a very personal thing. You're wrestling with, with doubt or you're wrestling with depression or anxiety or fear, and you just say, that's not how God made me to be. That's a longing for some things that are wrong, not quite the way God would have them to be, to be made right. Uh, sometimes we wrestle in our lives with temptation that we keep giving into, and we say, I don't want that to stay there any longer. It is longing for something in my own life to be made right. And any time 
We look into our world as we have this past year and see shootings in our city and all the devastation that has happened. There's this longing inside of us that says, this isn't the way that our God made these things to be, and we long for those things to be made right. And I want you to know that God has said that sometime, someday, he is going to right every wrong in this world. And there's no place in the Bible that communicates that more directly or more beautifully than Isaiah 11. So I got to tell you about it. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn there. If not, you can just listen to me. I'll try to point you to what is there. Uh, I'll give you a brief overview of this. It was written so long ago, almost 3,000 years ago, because Isaiah lived over 700 years before Jesus was born. Uh, Most of the prophecies that we sing about When we sing all of our Christmas carols, most of them come right out of Isaiah's prophecy. He he was the main one giving these prophecies of a Messiah that we, we love to sing songs about. But as he had those prophecies about a Messiah coming to do all these wonderful things, his own people were not getting along with one another. The Jewish people had gotten to so many battles that they'd even broken into two nations by the time that Isaiah was born. You had the larger group, the 10 northern tribes of Israel. They simply called themselves Israel. And and the southern group that that Isaiah was a part of, where Jerusalem was located, uh, was the nation called Judah. So I'm going to just show you a map so that all this, hopefully it will become more real to you because I I want you to experience something that he talked about. If you look at that, you see over here on on the right, uh, Babylonia or Babylon. And they're just to the north. Uh, of that Assyria, and down here, if you head, head to, the, uh, to uh, the west and to the south, is Egypt. Well, those three, Babylon, Assyria, and Egypt especially, were these powerful places that developed uh, 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 militaries and often wanted to take over everything in the Middle East. But, but you, you see, if, if Babylon or Assyria were going to come and try to take over Egypt, they couldn't go through the Arabian Desert. Moreover, you really couldn't go. They didn't have the navies that would make it possible to come uh, through the Mediterranean Sea. So the only real way to get there to one another is to go right, do you see it? Right through Israel and Judah. So the whole history of God's people in Israel and Judah is one battle after another as these superpowers tried to take over the world. So as Isaiah was writing, the the group that was growing to be uh, bigger and more powerful was Assyria. They had this megalomaniac, crazy emperor, kind of a Putin-like emperor (laughs) named Tiglath-Pileser. None of you have named your children after him, I hope. And he was wanting to take over the whole world and expand his kingdom. And I'll tell you, the military plans he had were leading right through Israel and Judah. And that's when God raised Isaiah up and gave him uh, prophecies. Uh, The people of God had walked away from God God said judgment is going to come. Part of the prophecies were to say that uh, a part of those people were going to be overrun uh, by, by Assyria. And that happened about 18 years after Isaiah met God in the temple. If you remember my sermon in Isaiah 6, this great vision of God that young Isaiah as an 18 or 20-year-old man had. About 18 years later, uh, Israel was destroyed. About a century later, his own nation of Judah was destroyed. But... God said, no matter how much my people have sinned and no matter how powerful these armies are, I am not done with my people. God had a plan 
to rescue his people, to save his people, because through that people, the Messiah was supposed to come. Uh, so what had happened is as those judgments had come and the language that was used is my people are like a forest, but when their judgment comes and the nations come, they're going to be left like a bunch of stumps. It's going to look just that dead. And yet I have not given up on my people. They are not dead. There is still hope. And that's where we start in Isaiah 11.1 1 with this phrase. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Are you with me here? It looked dead. It's not dead. From one of those, from this shoot of Jesse, uh, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, the first thing I want us to think about with that is, who, whom, notice my good use of the word there, English teachers, whom or what is all this about? When Isaiah says, a shoot will come from Jesse. Well, Jesse was the father of King David. King David, if, if you don't know, was the one king, though he was certainly not perfect, far from it. Still, God's evaluation of David at the end was, this is a man after my own heart. And God had given a, a promise to David, a prophecy to David, that someday through his line, a rescuer, a Messiah, a Savior was going to come. So as you think about that, you will see what all, every Christian throughout history has thought about this particular prophecy in Isaiah 11.1, 1, that when it says a shoot is coming out of that stump of Jesse, that that shoot is pointing to the child who would be born through David's line, namely Jesus himself. Uh, he is the one who is going to be the rescuer. Now, the thing I want you to see is if you read through Isaiah, and it's not an easy book to read, there are a lot of these, over the years that Isaiah lived, a lot of these different prophecies he had about how God would do things and rescue his people. And the point I want to make to you today is this, that whatever metaphor God gave Isaiah in the prophecy, whatever one he gave, it is all about Jesus. So now you've got to bear with me just a minute. I'm going to race you right through this thing. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 13. He used this metaphor of a holy seed. He said the whole country, the, the nation is going to look like they are cut off and only stumps are there, but there is one stump that's going to have a holy seed in it. And that seed is the one who would come through the line of David, the one who was promised, who would bring salvation to the entire world. In other words, the people of God, the people of Israel could not be wiped out because then the promises of God could not happen. What he is talking about when he talks about a holy seed in the stump do you know who he's talking about right there? Anybody, and I want to yell it out. This is not a hard question. This is really an easy, easy one. This is preacher Waybright. It's always the same answer. It's Jesus. Yes, you knew. Let's see, let's see if you'll become more responsive with me. You turn one chapter later. This well-known prophecy called the, that I call the Emmanuel child. Uh, Judah's country at that time had a, a bit of a weak milk toast like king named Ahaz. And he saw these powers that are coming his way and he was frantic. And so he was trying to make alliances with Egypt or with the northern tribes. And he said, I've got to figure out how I can rescue my people. And God kept sending people to him, prophets to him and saying, Ahaz, don't worry. I am going to take care of you. You will not be destroyed. Ahaz didn't believe him. And God kept saying, don't make those alliances with others. Trust me, I am with you. 
And in fact, he said, Ahaz, if you need a sign to prove it, ask for any sign that you want and I'll give you a sign. Ahaz had already decided what he wanted to do. It's not the way we are, right? He'd already decided what he wanted to do. And so he wasn't even going to give God a sign. So God said, then I'm going to give you a sign that proves that I am with you. And as we know, centuries later, um, an angel came to a man named Joseph and said, that prophecy long ago points to somebody much bigger. A virgin will be with a child. And that child will be God with us. Now, now br brothers and sisters, who is that prophecy pointing to? Ah! <laughs> you almost scared me there. That's louder than, than, than we usually... It is pointing to Jesus, the, the one that when he came... He was in ways more profound than anyone could have ever imagined. God with us, for God himself had come. Well, we move down just two chapters later to the text that Pastor Jeff preached about so powerfully last week. And, and it's the one about a child who is going to rule. Again, Isaiah speaks about the one who's going to come being born as a child. But he said, you remember that he's going to have a government upon his shoulders. And it's not going to be a small government. This is going to be an unlimited government that is going to last forever and ever. Again, the question is, who is that child to whom this is pointing? And they, you're getting better and better as we go. That Jesus would come and say, I have come to bring the kingdom of God in this world. A kingdom that will never end. A kingdom that will embrace every people group. All who come to Jesus will know his reign and his power and his goodness. There, there are many other prophecies Isaiah saw, but I'll take you all the way down later, Isaiah 52 and 53, in which he began to hear from God that someone who's going to come who is a suffering servant, a person who was going to be willing himself to be pierced for our transgressions, be willing to be bruised, even though we are the ones who have sinned, and, and the one that if we come to him, he will offer us not judgment, but healing and forgiveness and a new beginning. A suffering servant. Could this possibly be the same one as the child who's going to have a government that will never end? The, the people who followed couldn't believe that the suffering servant could still be the same kind of a child. But Jesus said yes in Luke chapter 24. You missed it. It was all pointing to me that first I have to suffer and then is going to come the victory and the glory. This too is pointing to Jesus. And I'll just show you one more. Um, Isaiah 61. I've got to show it to you in case you're visiting with us. When you walk out of church today, you can look back over in the Maple Street building, our children's center. And you'll see that beautiful stained glass. And on there is a verse that comes from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And it is such a powerful prophecy that is there that he said, someone who is going to be born into this world who will embody the very spirit of the Lord. But he is going to use his power to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the hearts of those who are brokenhearted, uh, prisoners who are uh, in captive, people who feel trapped and unable to be able to find any kind of freedom are going to find in him liberation. To whom is he pointing when he says that? He is talking about Jesus. And in fact, in that one, Jesus even said it himself. 
In Luke chapter 4, you know, as Jesus started his ministry, he walked right in to his synagogue, place of worship in Nazareth. He read this text. And then he shut the Bible, and in a very dramatic way, he sat down and he said, today, this prophecy is fulfilled in me. See, what I'm trying to show you is what Jesus essentially said in John chapter 5, verses 39 and beyond. He said, all of these scriptures, like what Isaiah is talking about, they all point to me. Isaiah's prophecies all point to Jesus. Now, there are a thousand things I want to say to us about this, but I have disciplined myself this morning, and I'm only going to say one. I'm only going to say one. I think you know this already. But the main thing that I really long for, our church here at Lake Avenue being known for, what, what I pray that everybody will know is at the very heart of this church is Jesus. It, it's no pastor's church. It's not just some big corporate successful place. This is simply a place where Jesus has rescued us. And our single longing is to please him, to follow him, and to make him known. Do you know, praise God, do you know in our world surveys have been done that show that American people as a whole and especially younger adults have great suspicion about what they call organized religion and especially when they look at really big churches who are alongside of a freeway that take up a whole city block and have a big cross on the top. The thought is you can't really trust those places because what they're really about is kind of like building a big corporation. They want to be, put on a big show. They want to take all of our money. That's, that's what it's often known for. I'll tell you what we must make sure is at the heart of our church is that Jesus is the one who has rescued us. We are simply his by his grace and by his mercy. This, this is a hard thing to know how to do in the right way because at the same time, my, my prayer is that we will be able to use whatever gifts God has graciously given to us fully so that when we have music, we don't want to put on a show, but at the same time, when God has given such gifts to our people, I mean, David, when I hear you saying it's a gift of God, you, you've, you've disciplined yourself and you've developed it, what, what a gift of God. I don't want you to get up there and say, well, I, I better not try to show off. I'll sing a little bit off key this morning because... <laughs> No, I want you to be able to sing fully into the glory of God. And the same thing is true of any aspect of our church. When we teach our children, when, when we mentor our students, anything that we do, I want us to use the gifts God has given us fully and without reservation, but always to his glory. But I want people to know that underneath it all, the thing that drives us and motivates it all, the thing that shapes our decisions and sets our priorities is that Jesus is our Lord and we want to honor him. I want people to look at Lake Avenue and say, that place, whatever else they do, they sure do seem to take Jesus seriously because even though people are suspicious of, 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 of organized religion, when they look at the life of Jesus, people see someone beautiful. I mean, Paul would call it the sweet aroma of Jesus, and I want them to see that, to smell that among his people. And that means that you and I as individuals must more and more say, Lord, I, I just pray that I will become more and more like Christ wherever you have put me. So some of you, God, has given great gifts to be business people. 
I want you to be the best that you can be to the glory of God, but I want all of your people to know that everything that makes you tick and every decision that you make, it is one that you want to please Jesus and to somehow make him known, that it will be different. The same thing for any of you who might be a teacher or a student. Be the very best that you possibly can be, but at the end of the day, the thing that I pray that people will see in you is that you want to give witness to Jesus as Isaiah did. Every one of his prophecies really pointing to Jesus. That you have a deep longing to become like Jesus, what we call conformed to the image of Christ. There's things not right about you will become more like him. And mostly that you and I will go out into this world and make known this beautiful love, compassion of justice of Christ. That is what I'm praying will happen. What is this about? Whom is this about? It is about Jesus which means that we need to kind of discover uh, what Jesus is like. And Isaiah tells us in quite beautiful ways a few things. I'll I'll just show you. He doesn't tell us everything, but he tells us a few things. In verse 2, if you have your Bible, he says that Jesus, this one who comes, this root of Jesse who will be born, will show us what God is like. And, And then as you read it, because he will be filled with understanding and knowledge and counsel and might. All those things that God alone perfectly embraces is what Jesus himself is going to demonstrate to us. And as he begins to change our lives, I pray that we will grow to understand more, to see this world the way God does, to learn to have the faith, to trust God in all that happens so that we, by our very peace, trust in God in the midst of whatever happens in our nation or our world, We'll say God is still in control because Jesus has come. He is God and he makes him known to us and we can trust him. What, what else does he say to us? He says, this, this one who's come, this root of Jesse, is going to show no partiality based on external things. Look at verse 3. This Jesus is not going to judge by what he sees with his eyes. He's not going to decide by what he hears with, what he ear, hear, with his ears. What this language is talking about is most people just view things by externals, what people look like, what we see with our eyes, what the rumors we hear about people. And so we sort of assess people and try to be around people who are more like us or successful people who can help make us sort of successful. And yet then we see Jesus and he comes. And you know who the first people are who come to visit him at the manger? They are shepherds. You should be shocked. They're shepherds. Shepherds couldn't even give testimony to anybody in court because nobody trusted them. Uh, And he decides he will associate with people that nobody else associates with. Jesus shocks people by the fact that here we are in, in 21st century Pasadena, cool Southern California, and the preacher is getting up here and saying, the main thing I want this church to be about is about Jesus. The question that's brought up is, how do we even know the name of Jesus? What kind of marketing plan did he use to make his name known? What what kind of strategic plan did he put into operation? And I'll tell you, when when you you see what he did, it was so different. Um, He chose what no marketing person would ever possibly choose. Uh, He chose to be born in a little stable. 
He, he chose to have as his closest associates these 12 disciples that were so marginalized. Nobody would have expected any from them. They weren't, they weren't the powerful people. And then when he said, Here, here's the way I'm going to really end it all. I'm going to choose to die in disgrace on a cross. That's how I'm going to become known. Who else would do such a thing? Do you know the answer? <sighs> Twelve of you. I'm going to give up. I'm going to just give up on that part of this, this, this preaching enterprise right now. All I want you to know is Jesus is not one who looks on the outside. He, he welcomed all people. He saw all, he saw all human beings as people made in the very image of God. People so beautiful in the eyes of God that even though sin has wrecked our lives, he's ready to cleanse it. He's found a way. He's ready to remake us. He welcomed prostitutes. He welcomed everyone that his own people was not welcoming, were not welcoming. And he wants us to be the same. And I'm, I'm just so much praying that Lake Avenue will increasingly become a place where anybody who walks through these doors they will find a welcome here. At the same time, they will find that we will call them to follow Jesus and say he will change everything. And even though it seems hard to believe it now, it will always be for the good. What, what else do we see about Jesus? He not only saw people differently, he dealt with people differently. He said with justice in verse 4. He gives decisions for the poor of the earth. He used his power and might actually to enter into lives of people whose lives who were devastated by sin and said, I'm going to offer you a new opportunity, an opportunity to be in a new kind of a family and to have a new kind of a life, but you must leave everything else behind and come and follow me. I want us to be a church that does that as well that people will know in this neighborhood, as our first mayor said when he gave us this property, I want to make sure that the people who go to Lake Avenue Church will be the place who will watch out for the needs of the people who come into this community and use whatever resources I entrust to you to make sure that those things that happen because of their own sin or because of the sin of the world around might find that there is still hope in Christ. I pray that we'll represent him well. And at the end of the day, when we think about what Jesus is like, verse 5 summarizes it, that Jesus not only knows what is right, he does what is right. Righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness, the sash around his waist. I read that phrase and I say, isn't that what we long for from all of our leaders I've traveled to so many different countries in my life and so many times when I talk with people and things aren't going well and they're in their church or in their uh, nation, uh, I'll say, what's the problem, do you think? And they'll always say it's the same thing. Well, we just need some leaders who won't be so selfish and won't just try to build up their own kingdoms. And Jesus was like that. The very belt, talking about his identity is, was righteousness, justice, using his might to bring that into the lives of others, and he was faithful to this task. I, I pray that that will characterize the leadership of your church, your pastors, and that more and more those will be the traits that we have here. That's what this root of Jesse is going to be like. And when Jesus came, he was all of this. We see it as we see him. But that brings me to the last thing that I want to end with. Uh, what he's going to do. Because as we look at our world now, all wrongs have not been righted. Can I have a witness here? There's still things wrong in our lives and in our world, right? And look at what we read in verse 10. In that day, 
the root of Jesse will stand as a signal for all peoples. The nations will rally to him, and then the rest that he brings about will be glorious. That word signal, that word signal means a flag, or sometimes it was a sound when people didn't quite know where everybody was supposed to gather. Uh, the signal is what called everybody to be there. Have you ever been in a setting where you weren't quite sure where to go and you needed somebody to, to help you to get there? Well, Jesus says, I am that person. If you can't resonate with that, I'm going to give you an illustration here that all of us in Pasadena understand well because a little more than a week from now, we're going to have this uh, little parade followed by a, a football game down here in the Rose Bowl, you know. And if you happen to be able to go to the Rose Bowl football game, you're going to go there with about 92,547 other people. I have a picture of it here just, just so that you can imagine being there. Okay, you're going to be going with a group of people from Lake Avenue Church. You're all going to be walking in together, and then maybe your senior pastor is going to say, hey, we're sitting all over the stadium. At the end, we'll just figure out somehow how to get together. How is that ever going to work? I'll tell you what you need. You need somebody who will have a signal or a banner. Uh, you need to say, I say, okay, we're going to be sitting all over the place. It's going to be hard for us to get together, but we're all, we're coming in gate A. We're going to go out gate A. And I'm going to have a banner. And because we're having USC playing Penn State this time, and I am a West Virginian, I'm going to have a blue and gold banner because nobody else is going to have one of those. You just look for that blue and gold banner, and that's where you're supposed to come. And you'd be able to find your way there. You've got to think about what Jesus is going to do. He said, when I come, I'm going to gather all people groups to myself. Revelation chapter 7, people from every tribe and language and nation, when he returns, are going to be gathered together. And what he is saying is, I am going to be the signal myself. I am going to gather my people. You will not be lost if you are mine. I'm going to bring you to home. I'm going to bring you home together. And every one of you will be complete in me. That's what he's saying here. Oh, I've got to show you this because you don't want to miss this. He tells us a little bit in this prophecy about what the world is going to be like when Christ comes back again and finishes what he has started. It's in verses 6 to 9. It's beautiful statements about all things being restored, hostility being ended, broken things being healed, a wolf living with a lamb, a cow and a bear grazing peacefully in the field, and especially, he has nine of these kinds of statements, and especially this one, and, and children are going to be out there playing by the hole of a cobra and will not be harmed. Now, moms and dads, can you imagine that happening? Do you think about that? I put a picture up here just so you can sort of feel it. I want to create a bit of a nightmare in your mind. <laughs> can you imagine a day, I mean, we're often so afraid, can you imagine a day uh, where uh, y y your child seems to be getting bored, and you say, hey, I have a good idea. I saw a cobra hole right out there. Just go out there, and if the cobra's not out, just reach right down in that hole and just pull it out, and you two will have a lot of fun. Just go out and have a good time. C can you imagine that happening? What Isaiah is wanting us to picture is that there will be nothing to fear anymore when Christ has finished his work. And he culminates it in verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Amen. 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. But that world hasn't come yet, right? But what God's word is telling you and me is someday it will. God is going to make all things right. You are going to discover that those Christian family members and loved ones of yours who have passed on have not been annihilated. But they've been in a place, as the Bible tells us, a place better by far. And you're going to be able to see them again. You're going to find that the disease that so often racks our bodies and our minds, Alzheimer's disease and dementia and every kind of disease, it will be no more. Wars are going to cease. God will wipe all tears from our eyes. And I'll tell you, at Advent season, most of the time in church, we just look back to those who before Jesus came were longing for his coming. But I'll tell you, when he came, he began a work that he promises that he will complete. What we do as Christians is that we long for him to come back again and complete that work. And he promises that he will. Our longing is for the return of Christ to step in and to make all things right. In in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended in glory after being born in a stable, ascended in glory up into heaven, these two men in white turned to people who seemed awfully depressed, and I have their words for you right up here. And they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way as you see him going into heaven. And John takes up so much of the imagery of Isaiah in Revelation chapter 21 at the very end of the Bible. And he says, this is the way it will be when Jesus returns. He will wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning even or crying or pain. This old order of stuff is going to be taken away. He who is seated on the throne declares, I am making everything new. That is our longing. You see, Advent for us is not just remembering what people in the past waited for, the first coming of Jesus. It's a longing for the second coming of Jesus. That time when every broken relationship will be healed. I'll tell you, every time there is a wrong in your heart, it creates an Advent longing. Every time you are afraid, every time you are depressed, and you know, it shouldn't be this way, God turns to you and he says, I'll begin my healing now. I love you, but someday that pain will be no more. In your families, when there is brokenness in your families, and sometimes parents, you'll have your children mouthing off at you and you say, that shouldn't be. Or children, when you hear your parents mouthing off at you and you say, that shouldn't be. And you wonder if our families will ever get together really And you know that Christmas has come as where we're going to have to try to come and have peace on earth, goodwill to people. And we can't even get along as a family. Everything inside of you says that's not the way a family should be, right? Someday every relationship will be restored. It can happen now as we resurrender our lives to Jesus. It can begin to happen now. But I'll tell you, it will not come to completion until Jesus returns and makes all things right. Every longing you have in your heart about something that is not the way it should be, even the temptations that you still face, can be an Advent longing. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I trust you. I want you to finish your work in me and in this world.
Do you know this Jesus? Have you met him? It's so simple. Children can do this. To acknowledge there is sin in my life, there are things wrong in my life, Lord. Will you take that, take it away and cleanse it? And God, I tell you, will say, I've just been waiting for you to come. I will cast it as far as east is from the west. Have you ever surrendered your life in faith that way to the Lord Jesus, to follow him? If he comes tomorrow, are you ready to meet him? I pray that if you're not sure, that today would be the day in which you make sure that your faith is in Jesus. Yesterday morning, I did a memorial service for little Timothy Robert Chu Brown. Uh, I'd talked to you about him several weeks ago. Uh, He had all sorts of problems as he was uh, in his mom's womb, Uh, Alyssa and, and his dad, Elliot. They didn't think he would live long, and when he was born, he only lived less than a day. We're, we're people of faith as we gathered, and Alyssa and Elliot were in the first service. We, we rejoice that we could entrust Timothy to the Lord, that when we see him again, all things will be right. We, we rejoice in that. But we mourned because we said, this is not the way the world should be. Infants shouldn't die prematurely. You know that Chris and I are personal witnesses of that, that when you lose a small one or even anyone prematurely, it just permeates your entire being. Everything inside of you says, that's not the way God meant for things to be. Sin has devastated our world. But this is where this Advent message becomes so real and so personal. Jesus came to change things. He defeated death by his resurrection. He was willing to take our sins upon himself and he began to change things. His work is not yet complete. He is doing his work now. He is ready to begin his work in your life when you give your life to him as your savior and within the context of our church we are to grow to become complete in him but his work is not yet done. But it will be complete someday. So I've got to ask you, someday he is going to be that signal calling people from every tribe and language and nation to him. Are you ready to meet him? He will come and make all things right, and he calls us right now to live every moment of our lives in light of the fact that he will return. And it changes everything. He never gives up on us, for he knows what he will do in us. Pastor Dietrich Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's the pastor who was killed at the end of the Nazi era, He was one of the few pastors who stood faithful in the midst of the time that Hitler and the others and many people who claimed to be Christians and many pastors who claimed to be Christian pastors were moving away from from the Lord. And and, and in spite of the fact that they saw quite clearly that everything about Hitler was anti-Jesus, everything. And then they also saw him not treating human beings as people should be treated. And they saw the Jewish people being slaughtered But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, even though he knew that he was putting his life at stake, remained faithful to the Lord, and he was going to live his life in the light of the fact that at the end, as that great song says, the wrong shall fail, the right will prevail, and sometime this earth will be filled with peace on the earth, goodwill to all men and women. He believed that. So in one of his last great Christmas sermons, 
Listen to what he preaches. Through all of the advents of our life, we shall wait and look forward with longing for that day of the Lord when God says, I am making everything new. And he will to his glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.